0: It's great to see everyone here tonight, with those of you that are driven to be here. Uh, We appreciate that very, very much. And if you're visiting from this area, uh, you're our honored guest, and we're so glad to have you, and I hope the things that we have to say tonight will be very uh, very beneficial to you. The Apostle Paul wanted all of our relationships to be distinct. One of the things that is so difficult about Scripture many times is the great transition between our life before we know about jesus and that he died was buried and rose again and the fact that the apostle paul said we are baptized into his death his burial and his resurrection and then he said we rise to walk in newness of life that's a very different way of walking in fact if you read the last uh, in the in in the verses preceding verses uh, 17 and 18 he talked about the fact we are servants to whom we yield ourselves servants to obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. That's going to be our choice. But God did not send Jesus into this world so that the brand or the style and the lifestyle of Christianity would be just like people that are not following Jesus Christ. There's got to be a difference, a distinction. And the greatest Time element of our life that we spend is not even with our families the greatest time element that we spend is at this four-letter word called work at work our jobs I want you to think about your job for a second and how you reflect Christ or don't reflect Christ there are people uh, on the job that do both the Bible says this in 2nd Corinthians 6 verse 14 Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? Or what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people." Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you and will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. In context here, Paul had a problem. The people in Corinth were living among idolatrous people. And they were mixing a lot of the idolatrous practices of the society and the culture and even some of the religiously influenced culture with the worship and the practice of the church. Paul would be very, very specific back in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 18, when he said, Observe Israel after the flesh. Are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What am I saying then? That an idol is anything, or what is offered to idols is anything? Rather, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, or what is offered to idols is anything? Rather, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Now specifically, I don't think anybody in this room would say that our worship is for sale. I hope it's not in your mind. I hope you don't have a buffet mentality about worship and about convictions about the Bible and doctrines of the Bible. I I, I know something about uh, buffets. Uh, I sell dead chicken every day and I have a lot of people that come in and uh, it's one of the things that I do, it's fun to observe people that eat certain things. On the one hand, I've seen people that can eat peach cobbler that looks fantastic, and they don't eat the bread puddings that looks like monkey brains. Now, I know that is shocking to you, but the reason it's shocking to you, it's really not shocking to you, is people a lot of times uh, vote with their eyes, and they go after what is aesthetically pleasing. And you can't do that always when it comes to doctrinal matters. You can't do that when Jesus asks us what to do can't do that. He asks us to be distinct or different on those things. Well, if the Apostle Paul is saying to the church, hey, you can't worship and you can't partake in those temples, worshiping those idols to those gods, and then turn around on the Lord's Day Day morning and drink out of the cup of the Lord, you can't do it. Now, I can make a great illustration off this if you'll let me. I don't think you could drink a red Solo cup full of the devil's juice, beer, alcohol, you name it. I don't think you can drink out of that cup on Saturday night and drink out of this cup on Lord's Day morning. You see, there are doctrinal things that Paul had to deal with and there were moral things that Paul had to deal with. And he dealt with both of them accurately and to the point with the Corinthian church. So how does this relate to our topic tonight? It relates in this way. There's a difference and there should be a difference in your life among the people you're around than the world. In other words, there should be a blessing whenever Christians are in any type of work environment. We, as Christians, are in the church. The Bible teaches that we are saved. That does not mean, however, that we are not in the world. The scripture teaches that. Should we go out of the world? No. Just know that you are not of this world. Your citizenship is in heaven. And the kind of work ethic and the kind of things that you do on the job reflect that. Our Heavenly Father recognizes our efforts to please Him on a daily basis. And I think one of the key ingredients to recognizing this is seeing our distinction from the world at work. I'll tell you funny as we get going... The light turned yellow just in front of him and he did the right thing. He stopped at the crosswalk even though he could have accelerated and beat the red light across the intersection. He didn't. However, the tailgating woman behind him was absolutely furious. She honked her horn. She screamed. Audibly, you could hear her screaming in the car behind. She had missed her chance to get through the intersection. She had dropped her cell phone, her makeup. Her, mor- her morning donut, everything was falling apart, it seemed like, and it was all the man in front of her's fault, of course. As she sat still and was in mid-rant, a police officer rapped on her window with a very serious look. She was yanked out of the car, placed in handcuffs, shoved in the back of the police car, and taken to the police station where she was put in a jail cell. After a few minutes, the arresting officer came and got her out of the cell and brought her to his desk and sat her down and told her. He said, I want you to understand I'm very sorry for the mistake. But You see, when I pulled up behind your car while you were blowing your horn, making hand gestures to the guy in front of you, cussing so loud I could hear you, I noticed the What Would Jesus Do bumper sticker and the Choose Life license plate holder, the Follow Me to My Church on Sunday sticker, and the chrome-plated fish emblem. And naturally, you would assume... I thought you'd stolen the car. I thought you'd stolen the car. I want you to think about this. As far as your life and the distinctions you have, would there be enough evidence to convict you of being a Christian with the people that you work with? With the people that you go to school with on a daily basis? The first point I want to make very quickly is this. God has a distinct call for people to work. His, his entirety when you talk about what God expects he expects us to have a level of productivity it was this way from the beginning before sin ever entered the world God recognized that there was a purpose and there was fulfillment in work genesis 2:15 the lord took man and put him in the garden of eden to tend and keep it but they messed up and the bible says in genesis 3:17 adam to adam he said because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed it is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat of the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and dust you shall return. Here's what I learned about this. I learned that sin made work difficult. I learned that it's not always gonna be this rosy thing that we just enjoy. There's gonna be a lot of sweating. There's gonna be a lot of toil. There's gonna be a lot of, of pain to it. Every time that happens, you just think about what happened in the Garden of Eden and you think about sin and the reality of sin in the world. Work has always been a major time allocation. Jesus in Mark 6 and verse 3 was pronounced to be the son of a carpenter. And let me tell you about a Jewish father. There are a lot of fathers here, grandfathers too. Let me tell you how it went down. Joseph, as a carpenter, was required to do four things for his son. Four. This is a big deal. Number one, circumcise him on the eighth day. That never went undone. Eight days old, you circumcise the boy. Number two, you redeem him. And by the way, if you want to talk about how genius God is, on the eighth day of birth that's when vitamin k is at its maximum and the clotting mechanism kicks in and that's how it goes down today we have uh, better tools to do the procedure with first of all and we have the ability to give that shot at birth that's pretty interesting huh number two his father had to redeem him according to the law. Number three, to teach him the law, Jesus at age 12 was asking and answering questions. Number four, his father had to teach him a trade. You know what's gonna happen? If, if, if we're gonna teach our kids anything, here, here's the thing, uh, we're gonna have to have some time with them. We can't just vanish in the morning and come home at night And our children learn the value of work always no that's not the way it's going to work out you see in this situation the father was required to train his son now that didn't mean tell him that didn't just mean say go get a job i know that's happened to you perhaps you've heard somebody that that's happened to the man who does not teach his son a trade, the quote went, has trained his son to steal. You know the greatest theft that has ever happened in all of this universe? It is that nasty word of potential. There are so many young people that have so much potential that will never be realized because there's no parent or parents that have an expectation and require it of baby boy and baby girl. In other words, if you have the capacity, then you're going to exercise that capacity. It's going to be realized. Potential is the greatest lie anybody has ever told themselves. Oh, I could. Listen, that's a, that's one of the great lies. Potential and and, and potential talent unrealized is a tragedy. But it's really a tragedy when it comes time to start talking about work and the capacity people have for different things. I'll tell you this. Uh, if kids cannot do anything except play Xbox and win World 7 on PlayStation, whatever it is, and Xbox 360, and, and you name it. And, and again, I, I, I grew up with uh, the old school stuff. Like Mario, I knew Mario when he was first introduced to the world. He hit his head on every box, flowers came up. We're a long way from that. Statistics are out there now insinuating uh, from social scientists that we are at a crossroads in humanity, especially with young people that are so hooked on uh, different types of games that completely allow them to be in the game that they have lost sight of a whole lot of reality. Listen, no problem with video games. I'm not your guy that's going to hate on your video games. But if that's all you can do, you're not doing what you need to do. If that's all you can possibly do is think about a video game or getting to World 7 or conquering Minecraft or doing whatever else it is in the world that you love, that's a problem. That's a significant issue. But here's the deal. Kids must see a worker in their parents and be required to work. You know what's wrong with our culture today? People think their kids are good kids if they're not on dope and if they don't have somebody pregnant or if they're not pregnant. They think, I've got a good kid. The kid's not done a a single thing. They've not done one productive thing. They don't have any actionable evidence that they're doing anything, but yet they're a good kid because of that. That's a flawed culture of expectations. That's a huge flawed culture. God has greater expectations for us than that. For example, pure religion and undefiable for God and the Father is this, to visit The widows and orphans and their affliction and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. You know what it looks like to go visit people that are old or infirm or widows? It's work. It's a work. The Apostle Paul talked about people in the church and he called them fellow workers. Here's what I want to tell you. The one reality that God has done is he has asked people to work and God has never yet used a lazy person. He doesn't use lazy people. That's just not the way it is. Jesus said in Matthew 6:33, "To seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you." The quote goes like this, "God gives birds their food, but he doesn't throw it into their nest. God called people that were busy, fishermen and tax collectors and doctors and all kinds of people from every walk of life. He would call them to work. Do you know the people that are working for God? They're the people that probably have the busiest schedule on earth. The people that have the most on their plate But you know what I've learned? I've learned that we do exactly what we want to, but there's one thing you can't replicate, and that is a work ethic. You find me somebody that will get up and bust it and do everything they can to do whatever they can for everybody, it's a wonderful thing. It's a beautiful thing. That is trained. That is expected. Somebody in their life gave them either positive or or whatever reinforcement or showed them how to do that rarely do you ever find a situation where children rise above their parents rarely rarely so in other words what kind of worker will my children be based off the worker that i am that's a significant question the bible says in first timothy 5 and verse 8 if anyone does not provide for his own and especially for those of his own household he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever a young man that I grew up with, uh, when I first started preaching, I knew him, and uh, he was sucking his parents dry. I'm just going to tell you. It was a bad deal. He had a lot of potential. He could do a lot of things. He had certifications. He'd been to school. Uh, and by the way, I going to tell you something about that. Um, just because you can make A's and B's and you've never done a day's work in your life doesn't mean very much in this culture and this world. There are a whole lot of people that are able to memorize and regurgitate and they're able to sit there and breathe air and pass tests, but they're lazy as I don't know what you want to talk about. Literally, that's the way it goes. This is one of those kids that his parents thought the the sun, moon, and stars would set in their boy. The problem was he was lazy. So one day, uh, we're talking and I finally told him, I said, listen, buddy, you got to go get a J to the O to the B. Or G to the O to the D is going to have a problem with Y-O-U. It's a big deal. And he went home and he told his mom and dad. And do you think they backed me up? No! I hurt baby boy's feelings. He was mad. You know who got madder about that? Papa Bear. Papa Bear called me on the phone really late at night mad. Like, vein-splitting mad. Did you tell my boy that that, that he was That, 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 and he was stuttering. He was so angry that he was an infidel. I said, no, I didn't say that. I did never say that. Cullen would never say that. I wouldn't call your son an infidel, but I'll tell you what, the Holy Spirit was so clear. He said that if your son won't get up and work, he's worse than an infidel. It was one of those moments, right? Everybody has their moments. You know what his dad did to his credit? He said, you're right, you're right, and he backed down in that moment. Listen to me very carefully. Whenever people try to get the best out of your kids, whether it's a teacher or a coach or a boss, I make it a habit as a boss, I never get rid of great people. That's just the way it is. As a coach, I don't know anybody, any coach ever, that has this amazing talent sitting there that works hard, that has a great attitude, and is able to perform at an extremely high level that says, no, I'm going to pick on him because he's so talented, we're not going to play him. That doesn't happen. We live in a culture, though, where people expect that one day things are going to just magically wham, bam, zam, it's going to happen. What I'm saying is work is required. Work has to be trained. Work is something that has to be expected. Paul worked with immature churches. In Acts 18, verse 3, he was a tent maker to be a good example of a hardworking preacher. There's nothing worse, my dad always would say, than a mooching preacher. He busted, our, he, he busted us all summer long in a hayfield, all winter long cutting wood, to make ends meet it was one of those deals but that's that's kind of the background that I come from and most of you in this audience come from dads and moms and grandparents that knew what it is to get up every day and work really hard Paul was that way you know why he was that way listen to what he said in first Thessalonians 4.11, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly toward those who were outside and that you may lack nothing. In other words, I don't want you to starve. Plus, you're going to be a positive impact on people that are not Christians. Listen to what else he said. 2 Thessalonians 3:7, for you yourselves know how you ought to follow us. For we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have authority. In other words, I have a right to be supported by the church. We do not have, not that we don't have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. Um... I don't know about you, but I'd sure like this to be over a couple of government facilities. I'd like it to be public reading somewhere. Because we live in a culture today that is an entitlement society where people are believing that they have a right to something just because. And I see some of you rolling your eyes, and I agree. That's a sad world that we're living in. That's not the world that Christians live in. And as a group and as a number of people together, one thing I want every young person here to know is every old person and older person and mom and dad in this room wants you to get up every morning and have a purpose. I know you may sleep in and the old saying goes, don't wake uh, babies and teenagers. Uh, I don't think my dad ever got that memo about the teenager's part. And yours probably didn't either. Because there's got to be purpose to your life. The, the old saying or, or the idea that I have nothing to do and nowhere to be is a terrible situation in our society today. My Yankee brother-in-law and I, we, uh, we opened a KFC Taco Bell in, in a little nowhere town of Farmville, Louisiana in 2008, and um, we trained all the people ourselves, and we both came uh, from a... Households where our moms believed in the prevailing winds of Lysol and bleach. Those are the winds that we breathe as children. So it just blew our minds when we would have someone come into our midst that didn't know anything about anything. Literally, didn't know anything about anything, and yet surprisingly, they had like a 3.5 GPA, had A's and B's, and their mama was proud of them. Right? So here's how it goes this big six foot five kid named Galen comes in and he goes to work. I love Galen. I can still see him today. He had a wonderful voice. He was like a customer service genius. He could rock the microphone. He could take several orders. He could multitask taking drinks and money. We loved him. One thing Galen didn't possess was the idea of how to clean and we realized real quickly that Galen could run and hide from cleaning very quickly. So one day I tell Galen, hey, listen, I know you're good at this, but you're going to have to get good at the other. Go get a broom and the dustpan and sweep the lobby. I go get my Yankee brother-in-law, and my brother-in-law is one of those, he can be very high-strung, right? I mean, it's not like there's typical Yankee or typical Southerners. I'm just saying. uh, Y'all are from California, most of you. Some of you are not, but you get what I'm saying. He's one of those that he gets wound up. And when he gets really wound up, he takes his hand over his forehead and he pushes it up like that. And when that happens, it's on. He's frustrated. He's angry. He's upset. Well, Galen has the broom. And you know how you typically will take a broom and and sweep around? Galen is is doing this around around the lobby, just kind of doing that with it. And I wanted to see what would happen. So I said, hey, Ryan, why don't you go coach Galen a little bit? So I'm watching this go down and and he's chasing, he's trying to show him how to do it and literally about to lose his mind. You know what else we had to do? We had to show him how to mop. You know what he did with a mop? He was, uh, was, he didn't learn anything from the first time. Same thing with a mop. And then it blew his mind when he thought out that bathrooms don't clean themselves, right? Do your lovely little ones know how to sweep and mop and clean a bathroom? do they? Because I want to tell you something, one of the most frustrating things that ever happens is when we have a workforce that doesn't know anything about anything and yet they want to check. It's a very difficult thing. We live in a culture that consumes. We live in a culture of those type things, but there must also be a balance. I'm looking at people that I know work hard. But if all you ever do is work and you never have time for anything but work, you're going to have problems in your life because you don't have balance in your life. Here's what I want to tell you. Work needs to be divided like this. Here we go. And this work ethic that I'm talking about goes for all of these. Here we go. You ready? God is always number one. There's nothing that anybody or anything that should ever come before God, period. And the fact is, our work ethic is going to dramatically, it's going to dramatically impact our relationship with God. Dramatically. Number two, and right there close, is our family. This is what's close, all right? Number three, our work, because that's what's going to support these and give us the ability to do these and then you just fill in the list. You can talk about quality time or QT all you want to, but here's the deal. These right here, these are the things that we have. Notice I didn't put anywhere in here the idea that that this whole thing of work is so that we can have all kinds of money and credit cards and 13 cars and all kinds of things because here's what I've learned about our society. We have gone out and bought things on credit. You know what? It is and you know what interest is interest is the penalty for living beyond your means it's also the definition of slavery in our country and if you don't get this straight and your work straight and, and this whole concept here's what's going to happen your family's gonna suffer your relationship with God's gonna suffer if you can't ever get away from work there's a problem I know there are periods we all have gone through periods where our family doesn't see us very much and we just hate it. If that becomes the pattern of our life, there's a problem there. The scriptures teach us to set our affections on things above, not on things on this earth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, covetousness is something that is not okay with God. In other words, I'm going to work real hard so I can get something. I know a financial advisor that they go to all these meetings and and, and these guys teach These guys that are really out there uh, hustling, trying to get accounts, they'll show them a picture of a yacht and they'll say, "You you take a picture of whatever it is you want and you put it on your desk because that's what you're working for. I hope every man and every woman here has a picture of their wife or their husband and their children and a Bible on their desk because that is what we're working for. If all we're working for is this and what it will do, you'll be the most miserable, sorry human being on the face of the earth. There are lots of people that if they could go back and do it all over again, they would recognize that money and success does not equal happiness. It does not equal faithful children. It does not equal a great marriage. You see, we invest in the wrong things. You invest in God eternal. You invest in family eternal. You invest in this stuff. You know what? The, you know what's going to happen to it? Let me tell you what you're going to do with all your stuff you're working for. When you die, your kids are going to get one of those big, giant get-rid-of-it containers, maybe two of them, back it up to your house and all your little play-pretties and things you thought were so valuable, they're going to chunk them. They're going to show it to the other siblings and they're going to say, you want this? And, no, I hated it when they bought it to begin with. Throw it away! There's going to be a Massive estate sale. They're going to sell all your junk. The investment you make in your family and in God is the balance. It's the balance. And I can put stuff in here about how we spend time together with our hobbies and all that good stuff, but time with our family is not expensive. You don't have to go do something to have quality time with your family, but you have to spend time with your family. Here's what Paul said. Godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Having food and clothing, we shall all with these be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and in many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Here's the charge. Here's how we stay healthy. Some of you in this room have been very successful. Is it wrong to be successful? Is it wrong to have a great job? No. 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 But it's wrong to obsess about money. It's wrong to have an affection for money. Here's what Paul said to people that have done very well. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty nor to trust in uncertain riches but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. I, I teach school, uh, and it's a little charter school. And one of the hardest things that I face is I've got some kids there that are athletes, that are have the biggest hearts and wonderful kids, but they have no concern whatsoever for academics. And you know what their answer is? I'm gonna go. To, I'm gonna go play ball. I, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go get a scholarship and I'm gonna play ball. No, you're not. You're five foot four. You weigh 122 pounds, you're not going to go play Division I football for any team, much less the LSU Tigers, and you will not be at the Superdome in New Orleans. It ain't happening. But you can't say that, right? Well, some of us can, but you can't really say that. It's really hard to get that type of thinking out of a kid once that's what they bought into. In other words, I'm going to invest in all the wrong things. I'm going to focus on all the wrong things, things that are going to not even close to becoming true in my life. Paul said, you pray and you work and you do all these things, and if you're successful, you just know that you'd better trust in God. You'd better be willing to share, not only with your family, you'd better be willing to share with anybody and everybody that you come in contact with. Because if you trust in your riches and you think that that's some sort of a power trip or that's some sort of a prestige badge, the reality is you're going to pierce yourselves through with many sorrows. You're going to have problems the likes of which you can't imagine. But he said, command those who are rich not to trust in uncertain riches and be willing to share. That's how you know if your money is in charge of you or if you are in charge of your money number two god's call to work doesn't mean every job i'm going to run through this real quick jobs that require you to uncover your body for work cannot be performed by christians according to first timothy chapter 2 9 through 11. jobs that require you to lie cheat or steal for people Cannot happen, Colossians three nine. Jobs that require you to steal, Ephesians 4.29. Jobs that require you to miss the assembly of God's house. I'm just going to get this out of the way. I have never, and I don't mean sometimes, I have never in my life, and I've been around the church, my dad was a preacher, we worked with people. When my dad started with the congregation in Harrison, there was one lady there. I saw people unique because they had Absolutely no background in any religion, really. And they were converted. And one of the things we figured out real quick that I figured out as a little boy, the people that were always there were going to do well. And the people that kind of on and off, on and off, on and off, and it wasn't a priority, didn't make it. If this table... Is one of those things that is not at the top of the list of that right there with God. Then Satan's going to put you in a position where you have to choose. You see, if God is number one, then my family's never going to get to be over God, and my work is never going to get to be over God. Here's what the Bible says: Let us hold fast the confession of our our hope. Without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Hebrews 10 23. Let us consider one another under love, to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. People say things like this If I don't go, I'm going to lose my job. I'm not going to be able to support my family. It's not going to be good. It's not going to be good. Listen. I don't doubt for one second that there are going to be circumstances and choices that come into your life. They're going to be very, very difficult. What I'm going to say is this, in the same way that you have to provide, you have to provide for yourself and your family spiritually. I some of the greatest profiles in courage that you will ever find in all the world are moms and dads that their faith and their practice and their convictions are not for sale, not even for a job. That doesn't mean for one second that I'm not compassionate when people get in situations especially when they're young in the faith that sometimes have to be worked through. But I'll tell you this, if you're young in the faith or you're, you've been in the faith a long time and this assembly of God's house with the communion on this table every Lord's Day is not a fundamental priority that you look forward to, it's not a have to, it's a get to, then chances are if that's not the priority, you're not doing well spiritually. The center of our week, the center of our life is Jesus Christ who died for us. There's only a few ways that I can physically tell you that you don't have to just walk by faith. We walk by faith, but when you see God's people come together and we're able to sit around this table and it's blessed, a loaf of unleavened bread, and we all jointly participate from it, and the cup of the Lord is blessed, and we all jointly commune from it, there is something there that cannot be done without Just like you may not want to miss a paycheck, I want to tell you this. Don't you ever miss this. Don't ever put it up for grabs. Don't ever live a life where somehow this could be put in the, in the up for grabs with the decisions we're making or our schedule. This is not a schedule deal. This is something that is everything to us. And if there ever were a time in our history where we need to come together as God's people and commune and stir each other up unto love and good works, it's this time and it's this hour of history. i got to hurry on. God calls us to be distinct employees. Paul said, Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart, as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. You can't get tougher circumstances than slavery. Sometimes we have jobs where we feel like we're a slave. These people were. And what Paul said is, think about your work like it's for Christ. I know this about most of you. If you have somebody in your life that you really love, it's not really that difficult to go do something nice for them, is it? In fact, what you'll do is, you'll do something nice for them and they'll just go on and on and on about, oh, I can't believe you did this. And you say, oh, it was nothing. Nothing? You just sweated your head off for a day and a half making it happen don't tell me nothing you know why it was nothing because you love them that much you love them they mean something to you gospel meetings driving there putting up church houses and working on church houses and remodeling church houses like all of you have done in this area of the country forever and ever amen not even a big deal for you to card up at 4 o'clock in the morning and drive to wherever it is and work all day long and somebody says oh thank you so much for doing this oh man it's nothing you want to know why it's nothing because who we serve makes it light who we serve and the value of our service to him and the importance of these people are so important that our service literally is not difficult now how does that relate to our jobs I mean, come on, man. Preacher, you're crazy if you don't understand that my boss is a jerk. I know that, but you're not working for him. You're not working for him as a Christian. And one thing I firmly believe is that every Christian should be so distinct and their work ethic be so strong That even unbelieving, hateful, jerk bosses that do everything to stand in the way of your convictions, your conscience, and your practice of faith, even they, at some point in time, will at least recognize the value of your contributions. You may never get to know it, but God requires it of His children. Have you ever heard a business owner say, I cannot find good help? A lot of people have that. There was a sign that hung in a window that went like this. No help wanted. Two men passed by and one said to the other, you should apply. You'd be great. A wise sage said there are two kinds of people. Those who do the work and those who take credit for it. Always try to stay in the first group. There's less competition there. When you talk about being a great employee, let me tell you what I mean. Annually, U.S. businesses have in excess of $50 billion stolen by employees. People think, oh, those vicious customers come in and steal. You better watch what's going out your back door. That's one of the hardest lessons that I have ever learned in my life. This is one that will get you, though. The FBI talks about the greatest theft of all, and it is, the FBI calls it the fastest-growing crime in America, and it has to do with 400 billion dollars that is lost every year in productivity from time theft or loafing. 400 billion. I just told you that 50 billion in excess of that is stolen every year from U.S. businesses, but 400 billion is stolen through time theft. Paul said, let him who stole steal no longer. But rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. It's impossible to convince people that you're saved if you are a Debbie Downer. If you're Mr. or Mrs. Trauma and Drama on the job all the time. If anybody's going to bring up a problem, they can vote and know that it's going to be you. Don't be that person. Do not be that person. I'll give you one illustration quickly. I have a sixty-year-old He just turned sixty. He's a six-foot-six black man named James Smith. We talk scripture. He gets out of his bed every morning at 430, puts on his shoes and goes in for the first shift at Armstrong Flooring. It's not air-conditioned. They don't have many labor laws in South Arkansas, just so you know. This guy stands over a bandsaw and cuts out mistakes in flooring all day long. He gets off at 3 o'clock, goes home, changes clothes, and shows up to Kentucky Fried Chicken in Warren, Arkansas, maybe the most hideous looking KFC on earth. Seriously. Gets out of his truck with a smile on, greets every customer that comes through the door, comes in, clocks in, and greets every single team members, gets everybody up, Mr. Positive, and he does it six days a week. This guy brings in knee pads, he's no joke. This dude gets on his knees underneath fryers, and, and, and listen, it's, it, 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 restaurants are not pretty at night. This guy's down, scraping, cleaning, doing all manner of stuff, I never ask him to do it. I never say, Hey, James, think you ought to? No. He goes above and beyond, and here's the deal. You know what he tells me? My wife likes it when I give her my check, and he smiles real big. He's been that way now. I've been with him since 2009. You think about that. Every day. I can't tell you how many customers will call up or write into Kentucky Fried Chicken and say, there's this big black guy that smiles and I love him. I want to tell you this. Are you that guy, are you that girl that when people are around that you're infectious? Pretty impossible to convince people. I know Jesus and I love the Lord, but I'm a nasty Debbie Downer. I'm trauma and drama. This doesn't work. Those things don't mesh in people's minds. Last of all, if you own something and you employ people, God calls you to be a distinct kind of boss and employer. The Bible says, You shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy, whether one of your brethren or of the aliens who is in your land within your gates. Each day you shall give him his wages. And do not let the sun go down on it, for he is poor and has set his heart on it, lest he cry out against the Lord, cry out against you to the Lord, and it be a sin to you. Uh, I don't know how you feel about Walmart stupid sinners. I'm from Arkansas. I like Walmart. That's where I shop. I call it stupid sinners because I have to walk a mile to get everything I need in there. But one thing that irritates me about Walmart is they take... One hundred and twenty to one hundred and eighty days to pay people. You know how many companies companies have gone under because of that. We live in a world of cutthroat profits. We live in a world where people will literally uh, stiff people. Do you know the day? Do you know the day that most waitresses hate more than any other day of the week? Sunday. Because they have to wait on all the people coming from churches. I want you to think about that. That's a no joke deal. Sunday can be the worst day anybody's staff has that serves the public. Especially when you come time to think about food. Why is that? I don't know why that is. I don't know if the devil gets in the car on the way. I I don't get it. It happens though. What I want to tell you is this. Whenever people work for you you pay them. And the worst thing that has ever happened among God's people is when somebody buys something on credit and then doesn't pay them. It's amazing how quickly somebody says, hey, that guy goes to church down there. You can't outrun that. You can't fix that hardly. One of the things in customer service that's so compelling is this. One good customer that comes up and brags to you and says, it's great, everything's wonderful. That's not the person you pay attention to. That one person that comes up and is mad and has veins splitting off, you fix their problem. Why? Because they will talk to 10 and up to 50 people about it. You can't afford it. The church can't afford that. I don't want to hand the devil rocks to throw at the bride of Christ because of my choices. I want to be as fair and as good and as upright as possible when it comes time to pay people what I owe them. James 5 and 1 says, Come now, you rich wheat, and how for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you have kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in the day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the just." He does not resist you. Think about this. You want to talk about somebody that gets angry when people are treated unfairly? God does. If you read in Exodus chapter 5, Pharaoh made the horrible decision to disrespect God and the religion of the Jews, and he bound horrible circumstances upon God's people. And God heard their cries. God may not right every wrong in your life right now. You may not get to see the wicked, awful, jerk boss get what's coming to him because you certainly can't give it to him. But God hears your prayers. God sees your circumstances and God sees the plight of his faithful people. And the one promise we have in circumstances like this even is that God will not put upon us more than we can bear and will provide us a way of escape in those moments Here, these rich people had defrauded their laborers. There is nothing worse than a thief. And if there is something worse than a thief, it's the thief that steals from people that depend upon every hour of their labor to make a living. I told you about our 2008 venture with my Yankee brother-in-law into a KFC Taco Bell. What I didn't tell you is that we had a builder that cheated his workers, bad. He went out of business right at the end of our job, and I won't go into our costs and problems because of that, but I want to tell you this. We came up on the parking lot one day, and all of his workers didn't have a job anymore. And they were crying. You know why they were crying? Because they had paid in, and it was taken out of their check, all the unemployment taxes and everything else. But he had never turned it into the government. It was like they had never paid a dime of tax. And they were crying because they had kids at home. This guy had strung them out for a month saying the checks are coming, the checks are coming, the checks are coming, and they never came. I'm going to tell you, there's an extra crispy part of hell for that kind of activity. God expects us to be distinct. God expects us to be the hardest workers on the job. God expects us to be the most honest. God expects us to have the best attitude. God expects us to be a blessing to other people. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Every Christian employee should think of that business and that job that they're on as if it were their own and add value every day. Whenever we talk about our work in this life, our labor, the Bible says in Revelations 14 13, right blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on, yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. The one reality is this if we're a people that are up and busy working for God, our works, the things are going to follow us. Never underestimate your time at work, never underestimate the moments where your co workers are suffering. Their families are sick. And you walk up to them privately and say, I just want to let you know I'm going to be praying for you and my family's going to be praying for you. Never underestimate the, the bosses that watch you every day, that watch you show up early and watch you leave late even though you're on a salary. They watch you go above and beyond. They watch you put teams and problems back together again. They watch you be the number one hardest working bunch there is. They watch that every day. Never underestimate that. There are going to be some people that you you work with that watch you go through death. There's a brother that many of you know in the church that lost his wife to cancer. And he was such an exemplary guy that this lady that he worked with literally said, I gotta know how you're doing this I gotta know and she eventually was converted you never underestimate how it is and the power and the impact that you have on other people's lives that you work with you are the only Bible you are the only Jesus you are the only voice of truth you are the only positive impact sometimes in people's lives They have horrible family trauma and drama. They have horrible times looking in the mirror. And you're the only one that adds value. You have a ministry at work of goodness and blessings that should come and should overflow. Listen, when David prayed a long time ago in the Psalms and said, My cup runneth over. There should be people that bathe beneath your cup that runs over because your relationship and your devotion to God is so strong and only God fills your cup. The circumstances of work do not fill your cup. The circumstances of highs and lows with with money and career success, that's not going to fill your cup. Your relationship with God will, and it will impact every other relationship in your life.